0: Chapter Three of Ships That Pass in the Night. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Conover, Windham, Maine. Ships That Pass in the Night by Beatrice Harridan. Chapter Three. Missus Ruffold learns a lesson. Petershof was a winter resort for consumptive patients, though indeed many people simply needed the change of a bracing climate, went there to spend a few months, and came away wonderfully better for the mountain air. This was what Bernardine Holm hoped to do. She is broken down in every way, but it was thought that a prolonged stay in Petershof might help her back to a reasonable amount of health, or, at least, prevent her from slipping into further decline. She had come alone, because she had no relations except that old uncle, and no money to pay any friend who might have been willing to come with her. But she probably carried very little, and the morning after her arrival she strolled out by herself, investigating the place where she was about to spend six months. She was dragging herself along when she met the disagreeable man. She stopped him, he was not accustomed to be stopped by anyone, and he looked rather astonished. "'You were not very cheering last night,' she said to him. "'I believe I am not generally considered to be lively,' he answered, as he knocked the snow off his boot. "'Still, I am sorry I spoke to you as I did,' she went in frankly. "'It was foolish of me to mind what you said.' He made no reference to his own remark, and, passing on his way again, when he turned back and walked with her. "'I've been here nearly seven years,' he said. And there was a ring of sadness in his voice as he spoke, which he immediately corrected. "'If you want to know anything about this place, I can tell you. If you are able to walk, I can show you some lovely spots, where you will not be bothered with people. I can take you to a snow fairyland, if you are sad and disappointed. You will find shining comfort there.' It is not all sadness in Petershof In the silent snow-forest, if you dig the snow away, you will find the tiny buds nestling in their white nurseries. If the sun does not dazzle your eyes, you may always see the great mountains piercing the sky. These wonders have been a happiness to me. You are not too ill, but that they may be happiness to you, too. Nothing can be much of a happiness to me, she said, half to herself, and her lips quivered. I HAVE HAD TO GIVE UP SO MUCH, ALL MY WORK, ALL MY AMBITIONS. YOU ARE NOT THE ONLY ONE WHO HAS HAD TO DO THAT, HE SAID SHARPLY. WHY MAKE A FUSS? THINGS arrange THEMSELVES, AND EVENTUALLY WE ADJUST OURSELVES TO THE NEW ARRANGEMENT. A GREAT DEAL OF CARING AND GRIEVING, PHASE ONE. STILL MORE CARING AND GRIEVING, PHASE TWO. LESS CARING AND GRIEVING, PHASE THREE. NO FURTHER FEELING WHATSOEVER, PHASE FOUR. Mercifully, I am at phase four. You are at phase one. Make a quick journey over the stages. He turned and left her. She strolled along, thinking of his words, wondering how long it would take her to arrive at this indifference. She had always looked upon indifference as paralysis of the soul, and paralysis meant death. Nay, was worse than death. And here was this man who had obviously suffered both mentally and physically telling her that the only sensible course was to learn not to care how could she learn not to care all her life long she had studied and worked and cultivated herself in every direction in the hope of being able to take a high place in literature or in any case to do something in life distinctly better than what other people did when everything was coming near to her grasp when there seemed a fair chance of realizing her ambitions, she had suddenly fallen ill, broken up so entirely in every way, that those who knew her when she was well could scarcely recognize her now that she was ill. The doctors spoke of an overstrained nervous system, the pestilence of these modern days. They spoke of rest, change of work and scene, bracing air. She might regain her vitality, she might not. Those who had played themselves out must pay the penalty. She was thinking of her whole history, pitying herself profoundly, coming to the conclusion, after true human fashion, that she was the worst used person on earth, and that no one but herself knew what disappointed ambitions were. She was thinking of all this, and looking profoundly miserable and martyr-like. When someone called her, her name, she looked around and saw one of the english ladies belonging to the House. bernardine had noticed her the previous night she seemed in capital spirits and had three or four admirers waiting on her every words she was tall handsome woman dressed in a superb fur trimmed cloak a woman of splendid bearing and address bernardine looked a contemptible little piece of humanity beside her some such impression conveyed itself to the two men who were walking with Mrs. Riffle. They looked at the one woman, and then at the other, and smiled at each other, as men do smile on such occasions. "'I'm going to speak to this little thing,' Mrs. Riffle had sent to her two companions before they came near Bernardine. "'I must find out who she is, where she comes from, and fancy she has come quite alone. "'I have inquired,' "'How hopelessly out of fashion she dresses! "'And what a hat! "'I should not take the trouble to speak to her,' said one of the men. "'She may fasten herself on to you. "'You know what a bore that is.' "'Oh, I can easily snub any anyone, if I wish,' replied Mrs. Ruffold, rather disdainfully. "'So she hastened up to Bernadine and held out her well-gloved hand. "'I had not a chance of speaking to you last night, Miss Home," she said. You retired so early. I hope you have rested after your journey. You seemed quite worn out. Thank you, said Bernadine, looking admiringly at the beautiful woman and envying her, just as all plain women envy their handsome sisters. You are not alone, I suppose, continued Mrs. Ruffold. Yes, quite alone, answered Bernadine. But you are evidently acquainted with Mr. Adlinson, your neighbor at table, said Mrs. Ruffold so you will not feel quite lonely here it is a great advantage to have a friend at a place like this i never saw him before last night said bernardine is it possible said mrs bruffled in her pleasantest voice then you have made a triumph of the disagreeable man he very rarely deigns to talk with any of us he does not even appear to see us he sits quietly and reads it would be interesting to hear what his conversation is like. I should be quite amused to know what you did talk about. I dare say you would, said Bernardine quietly. Then Mrs. Riffle, wishing to screen her inquisitiveness, plunged into a description of Peter's life speaking enthusiastically about everything except the scenery, which she did not mention. After a time she ventured to begin once more taking soundings, but somehow or other, those bright eyes of Bernadine, which looked at her so searchingly, made her a little nervous, and perhaps a little indiscreet. "'Your father will miss you,' she said tentatively. "'I should think probably not,' answered Bernardine. "'One is not easily missed, you know.' There was a twinkle in Bernadine's eye, as she added, "'He is probably occupied with other things.' "'What is your father?' "'asked Mrs. Ruffold in her most coaxing tones. "'I don't know what he is now,' "'answered Bernardine placidly. "'But he was a genius. "'He is dead.' "'Mrs. Ruffield gave a slight start, "'for she began to feel that this insignificant little person "'was making fun of her. "'This would never do, "'and before witnesses, too. "'So she gathered together her best resources and said, "'Dear me, how very unfortunate.' A genius, too. Death is indeed cruel. And here one sees so much of it, that, unless one learns to steal one's heart, one becomes melancholy. Ah, it is indeed sad to see all this suffering. Mrs. Riffelt herself had quite succeeded in stealing her heart against her own invalid husband. She then gave an account of several bad cases of consumption, not forgetting to mention two instances of suicide which had taken... "'place lately in the Pindershof. "'One gentleman was a Russian, she said. "'Fancy coming all the way from Russia "'to this little out-of-the-world place. "'But people come from the uttermost ends of the earth, "'though, of course, there are many Londoners here. "'I suppose you are from London?' "'I'm not living in London now,' said Bernadine cautiously. "'But you know it without doubt,' continued Mrs. Ruffold. "'There are several Kensington people here.' YOU MAY MEET SOME FRIENDS. INDEED, IN OUR HOTEL THERE ARE TWO OR THREE FAMILIES FROM Lexham GARDENS. BERNARDINE SMILED A LITTLE VICIOUSLY, LOOKING FIRST AT MRS. Ruffle's TWO COMPANIONS WITH AN AMUSED SORT OF INDULGENCE, AND THEN AT THE LADY HERSELF. SHE PAUSED A MOMENT AND THEN SAID, HAVE YOU ASKED ALL THE QUESTIONS YOU WISH TO ASK? AND IF SO, MAY I ASK ONE OF YOU? WHERE DOES ONE GET THE BEST TEA? Mrs. Ruffold gave an inward gasp, but pointed gracefully to a small confectionery shop on the other side of the road. Mrs. Ruffold did everything gracefully. Bernadine thanked her, crossed the road, and passed into the shop. Now I have taught her a lesson not to interfere with me, said Bernadine to herself. How beautiful she is! Mrs. Ruffold and her two companions went silently on their way. At last the silence was broken. Well, I'm blessed, said the taller of the two, lighting a cigar. So am I, said the other, lighting his cigar too. Those are precisely my own feelings, remarked Mrs. Riffled. But she had learnt her lesson. End of Chapter 3